Hi, this is J.D. Tolosic, and welcome. This podcast is sponsored by Cultural Programs of the National Academy of Sciences. On May 4, 2011, Merzion Fellow Thomas Burnett delivered a noontime talk at the Keck Center on the life and vision of astrophysicist George Ellery Hill. A respected scientist, National Academy of Science member, and founder of the National Research Council, Hill led the efforts in both fundraising and the design of the National Academy of Sciences building on Constitution Avenue in the early 1920s. Hale had a remarkable ability to integrate science into modern society. Among his wide array of interests, he was founder and first president of the Pasadena Music and Art Association, a trustee of the world-renowned Huntington Library, a student of European architecture in ancient Egypt and Greece, and a visionary for education policy. In an age with an ever-widening gulf between scientific research and popular culture, Hale's vision for the NAS is just as relevant now as when he developed it a century ago. Thomas Burnett's talk, entitled George Ellery Hale, A Visionary for the 21st Century, was co-organized by cultural programs of the National Academy of Sciences and the National Academy of Sciences Archives. What follows in this podcast are selected highlights from that talk. If you're not already familiar with George Ellery Hale, there are a few things you should know about him. First, he was a highly accomplished scientist. Early in his career as an astrophysicist, Hale invented the spectroheliograph, an instrument that photographs the sun's surface and solar disturbances like sunspots and solar flares. In a survey of a thousand top scientists in 1914, Hale was voted by his peers as one of the 12 greatest scientists in the United States. The second thing you should know about Hale is that he played a leading role in building a home for the National Academy of Sciences. Though it had been founded in 1863, the National Academy had no space of its own for the first 60 years. But National Academy member George Ellery Hale changed that almost single-handedly. He was involved in nearly every facet of the project, from developing the overall building design, creating the endowment, and even deciding on details of building decor. Some people have referred to the National Academy as the house that Hale built, and he definitely deserves this credit. The third thing you should know about Hale. Before he was 45 years old, he had already planned, built, and directed two of the greatest astronomical observatories in the world. The first was Yerkes Observatory in Williams Bay, Wisconsin, for the University of Chicago. Next, he built Mount Wilson Observatory in Pasadena, California, where Hale taught at Throop Institute. This later became Caltech. Later in his career, he also founded the Palomar Observatory in San Diego. And finally, he built the Hale Solar Laboratory, where he continued to do astronomical research well after his official retirement. The fourth and final thing you should remember about Hale is that he was not only a great scientist, but also a cultural visionary. And that is what I want to focus on today. To set the tone, let's begin with a quote from Hale himself. I do not share the common fallacy of an antagonism between science, literature, and art, which appeal to me much in the same way. Creative imagination is a vital factor in them all. Hale didn't just say this, he lived this idea, and he did so in four primary ways. First, he was the founder and first president of the Pasadena Music and Art Association. Second, he was a student of European architecture, as well as ancient Egyptian and Greek culture. Third, he was a leader in education policy. 
and fourth, he was trustee of the world-renowned Huntington Library. Hale's role as a cultural visionary is best seen in his commitment to the Huntington, so we're going to focus on that. The Huntington Library was established by Henry Huntington, not surprisingly. Huntington made his fortune in the railway and streetcar industry, particularly in Southern California. He retired early to become a full-time book and art collector, and he spent millions to buy entire collections of rare books and works of art. But having huge numbers of books does not make a great library. The person who de devised the plan to transform these collections into a state-of-the-art research institute was actually George Hale. How did an astronomer like George Hale get involved in building a library? Well, he and Henry Huntington originally met in 1906 at a dinner banquet in Pasadena when Hale was a professor at Throop Institute. Seated next to each other, Huntington spoke about his love for books and his huge collections. Hale, in turn, spoke about his vision of developing a research mecca in Pasadena near the Huntington Estate and Mount Wilson Observatory. Hale suggested that a world-class library would fit beautifully in this scheme, if only Huntington would build it. Huntington listened and showed interest, but made no firm commitments. Their conversation could have ended there, but what made Hale so great is that he tirelessly worked to make these kinds of ideas into reality. In the case of the Huntington Library, it took 21 years. But when it finally opened to the public in 1927, it was hailed as a great research laboratory, and that was everything Hale had envisioned. Hale invested a lot of his life promoting arts and humanities, time that he could have spent studying astrophysics. But Hale didn't see it that way. He thought that natural science offers important insights about our species, but science alone does, is not sufficient. To fully understand humans, Hale also thought we needed to study history, philosophy, archaeology, art, literature, and music. These disciplines reveal motivations and values that drive humans to build complex civilizations. Even modern science itself is a product of this process. Hale's commitment to the humanities was so great that when the cornerstone of the National Academy building was laid, which was a project that Hale had worked on for more than a decade, he wasn't even there. Instead, Hale was in Egypt viewing the recently discovered tomb of King Tut. Hale later incorporated these humanities interests into the design of the National Academy's building, particularly ancient Egyptian and Greek elements. But the most impressive feature of all the National Academy's building is their Great Hall, a giant dome in the center of the Academy. There's no substitute for seeing it yourself, but I want to highlight some of its features so that you'll know what you're looking at. The Great Hall is just as breathtaking now as when it was built. It's beautiful, but no scientific institution today would build anything like that. Some people might even consider it frivolous. Yet if we understand Hale's concept of universal knowledge, something that includes the arts, letters, and science, the National Academy would be incomplete if it didn't feature art so prominently in its building. In fact, the decoration in the Great Hall itself is not extraneous to natural science. It actually features it. It acknowledges an inherited legacy of thousands of years of exploration and investigation. It celebrates past achievements and provides space for future discoveries. It depicts modern science as part of human history, not separate from it. Let me tell you about a few of the details in the Great Hall. It features eight different scientific disciplines, four national academies, 
numerous inventions, discoveries, and instruments. The science disciplines it features are physics, astronomy, mathematics, chemistry, geology, zoology, botany, and anthropology. Each of these disciplines includes two objects featured near it. In the case of physics, it depicts Robert Boyle's air pump from the 17th century and an electromagnet. In the case of geology, it features a fossil as well as a hammer and chisel. And each of these eight disciplines has two such icons associated with them. But since science is such a vast enterprise, only small slices of it can be depicted. So how do they decide what to include and what to cut? Hale was deeply influential in determining details in the Great Hall. In particular, he was responsible for the inscriptions and representations of four national academies in the archways. Those include the Royal Society of London, the French Academy of Sciences, the Lynchian Academy in Italy, and the Museum of Alexandria. The Museum of Alexandria was founded at the time of Aristotle and it was then destroyed by fire. We don't know what it looked like and we don't even know what it contained. I'm pretty sure that George Hale was the only member of the National Academy who thought it important enough to feature in the Great Hall in its limited space. But Hale made a very strong case for it. He said, of all the ancient prototypes of the modern academy, the great museum of Alexandria holds the first place. And Hale got his way, and it is in fact featured in the Great Hall. Not all of Hale's ideas were completely adopted. In the summer of 1923, less than a year before the new building was scheduled to open, Hale wrote to the building committee chairman, Gano Dunn, and suggested a complete design change of the Great Hall. Instead of the eight scientific disciplines, he proposed featuring eight episodes in the evolution of the universe, beginning with the origin of our galaxy up to the rise of ancient human civilization. It would then feature eight panels, starting with first a spiral nebula, then the sun, the earth, a carboniferous forest, a prehistoric animal, paleolithic man, the ice age, and then the earliest civilization as the eighth panel. This collection would be part one of Hale's evolutionary history depicted in the Great Hall. Part two would then depict the evolution of science itself, beginning with the ancient museum of Alexandria. After depicting Alexandria, Hale would skip the entire Middle Ages and then follow up with presenting the Lynchian Academy of Italy in the early 17th century, followed by the Royal Society of London and the Paris Academy. If Hale had his way, the Great Hall would be a testament to a grand narrative evolution, a history that started with our origin of our galaxy and culminated in the present with the National Academy of Science in Washington, D.C. If you look at the Great Hall now, you'll see that Hale did not get everything that he wanted. The building committee chose not his eight evolutionary episodes, but the eight scientific disciplines. And it didn't depict the four national academies in such a prominent place as he had wanted. Instead, the building committee adopted a scheme that the architect Bertram Goodhue had devised. It would feature four traditional elements, fire, earth, air, and water. And he thought that would match, better match the decorative scheme of the building. Gano Dunn joked in a letter to George Hale that the architect wanted room to paint some ladies in the Great Hall. Each of these ladies would represent the four traditional elements. 
When Hale heard about this, he was not at all amused. He didn't like how these traditional elements clashed with modern scientific understanding. Still, the architect won the battle over what would be depicted there. Other aspects of George Hale's evolutionary proposal were maintained. Hale's close friend and colleague James Breasted suggested an inscription to reflect Hale's theme. The inscription states, ages and cycles of nature in ceaseless sequence moving. Though Hale's depiction of evolution was abandoned, this quote was still used. Learning that the eight scientific disciplines would be featured, Hale requested that one of them be altered. Mineralogy was removed and replaced by anthropology. This switch expressed the value that Hale placed on the humanities and social sciences, which he wanted on equal footing with natural sciences. Now that you know about some of the debates and decisions about details in the Great Hall, I'll hope that you'll see the dome with new eyes when the building opens in April 2012. Currently, the National Academy is doing an extensive restoration of the original building. If Hale were still with us and could update it for the 21st century, what might he do? Let's keep in mind Hale's original vision. He wrote, one of the prime purposes of the new building is to serve as a means of keeping the public in touch with the progress of science and to demonstrate the importance of research. Before World War II, the Great Hall was a popular destination for the public. It received as many as 50,000 visitors per year. People came to see not only the Great Hall itself, but seven rooms surrounding it filled with science exhibits demonstrating discoveries of physics, chemistry, astronomy, zoology, botany, medicine, engineering, and agriculture. These exhibits gave the public direct access to modern science and to the research of National Academy members. Unfortunately, exhibit space disappeared in the decades that followed and the number of visitors slowed to a trickle. But in recent years, the Caution Museum has rekindled public interest. And when the National Academy building reopens next year, two of the original seven exhibit rooms will be restored. Nevertheless, the space set aside for the public is still very small, and that is not likely to change. However, current limitations in physical space can be overcome by unlimited amounts of virtual space. If we pursue it aggressively, internet technology could dramatically expand public access to the National Academy. This is what I came to do. Since starting my Mirzayan Fellowship in January, I have been working with the Cultural Programs Office to extend George Hale's vision into the 21st century. Using the Great Hall as a visual template, we've developed a proposal to create a multimedia digital dome. Using a personal computer, smartphone, or tablet, both the public and National Academy members could explore the dome in far greater detail than by simply looking up at the ceiling. In addition to displaying the intricate artwork, we, could, we would like to embed histories of scientific discoveries and show their connections to other aspects of culture. This has great potential for informal science education, and it could dramatically raise visibility of the National Academy with the general public. In an age with an ever-widening gulf between scientific research and popular culture, institutions like the National Academy have to reach out. George Hale is still a legendary figure of the National Academy, and his vision is just as relevant now as it was a century ago.
My name is J.D. Tulosic, and you have been listening to a podcast sponsored by Cultural Programs of the National Academy of Sciences. Be sure to visit our website at www.cpnas.org for a complete listing of exhibitions, programs, and other events where we explore the intersections of art, science, and culture. 